0: Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Hey, let's, let's discover a little bit this morning about peacemaking, what's it all about, and I think a good guide for us would be some peacemakers in world history. There's some great quotes. There's actually one of them I entered into your, uh, into your notes uh, this morning, too, as well, which I really like, from Eleanor Roosevelt, so we can look at that as we go on. But let's go, let's go and give you four, four quotes from peacemakers. The first one from Desmond Tutu, if you want peace, don't talk to your friends, you talk to your enemies. It's good. I like Desmond. I like that, Desmond. That was good. Mother Teresa says, if we have no peace, it is because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I love this one, Eleanor Roosevelt. She just keeps going and going on top and building on it. Ready? Is it not enough to talk about peace? One must believe in it. must believe in peace. It's not enough just to believe in it, she says. One must work at it. A pretty smart guy. Albert Einstein said, peace cannot be kept by force. It can only be achieved by understanding. You can't force it. But you've got to come to a place where we all understand each other's side so we can bring peace themselves. Um, you've seen every time, again, as we go through one of these, these beatitudes, we also look at the Greek word that we're studying specifically today. It's a definition we want to look at this morning is a definition of peacemaker in the Greek. I spent a lot of time on this, so you'll be proud of me. It's a word, poias." It's pretty good. Good job, Chris. poias," and it comes from two words, erena, which is the state of national tranquility or personal tranquility. Um, but I, what I want to focus on the national part of it, and then, of course, poya, which is to, to make, so to make peace, right? So, blessed makarios are the polyas this morning as we talk about this. And why is this national state of tranquility important? Well, let's give you a little context, right? During the time of Jesus, um, the Jews were not in their own land, although they were sort of in their own land, like the territory-wise, but they weren't their own rulers, right? They were under the oppression of the mighty Roman Empire, right? I'm Italian, so God bless the mighty Roman Empire. But the, the Roman Empire was, was oppressing, right, these people. And, and they didn't have the freedom they were looking for. And they'd always hope for this messianic figure to come and bring peace, right? That was their idea. He was going to ride in like a conqueror, right? And he was going to make war to bring peace. That was their thought, their focus on that. So you can understand when Jesus sits in front of his disciples and says, hey, you know, blessed Makarios are the arena They're like, yes, yes, they are. The one who brings war and brings peace, that's what I want. She's like, no, 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 you, you don't quite understand. See, because Jesus was the prince of peace himself, right? And so it's not this conquering king in this, in this you know, a warrior king that's coming back to fight. That's not what it is. The second coming looks like that. But the first one wasn't like that. He was going to bring peace through his goodness, through his kindness, through his love, through his humility. And he would bring peace to each one of us as a result. So I want to take some time to journey through the, the previous six. Um, Beatitudes, just really briefly, we talked about this before, the other folks that have been up here speaking to you as well, Pastor Tim, Michael, and so on, have also mentioned that these build off of themselves as they go down into the ultimate climax, which is blessed are, the, are those who are persecuted, right, for righteousness sake. But I want to show you how each one of these leads to, and is a prerequisite, I believe, to peacemaking. Without one of them, you cannot get to the ultimate goal of peacemaking here. So let's go through each one first. The first one, of course, as you read earlier this morning, Which was blessed are the poor in spirit. You can't be boastful and prideful, right, and arrogantly this bearer of peace, can you? I don't think so. I don't think that's possible for you to be like, yeah, look at me. I'm this peacemaker. Woo, I'm awesome. I don't think that's going to bring about a lot of, you know, reconciliation between you and another person. You have to go there humbly. A spirit who really recognizes there's some junk you have in your life. You're just as messed up as that person is. The only difference is, of course, is that you've heard God speak to you about that and you're willing to go. So you're poor enough in spirit to recognize you don't have it all, but that God is supplying all those riches for you and giving you the peace so you can bring it to other people, right? So I think that's number one. I think definitely that that goes in line with helping make peace. The next one, blessed are those who mourn. I believe if you have entered in to your own suffering at some point, your own pain, your own hurts, right? If you've been a part of that, if you've mourned over that, then you're more ready to go approach somebody who may themselves be in a position of mourning and hurt and struggle. You may be able to help bring peace and satisfaction to them because you yourself have experienced that. But who follows somebody who does this diet fad but doesn't actually participate? In they just talk about it. You don't follow that person. You follow the one who actually does it, right? And so the same principle here. Someone who's experienced that mourning, you can more relate to when they come to you to offer peace. So you should be able to then, as part of the peacemaking process, be able to, be able to mourn so you can bring that forward. So blessed are those who mourn. I think it's part of bringing the leadership, again, to peace. Blessed are the meek. Or third one, blessed are the meek. You can't be like outlandish, like in your living, like, look at me, man, just throwing $100 bills when you come to celebrate with somebody and bring peace. Like, they're going to be like, dude, get out of my face. I don't want you here. Why are you doing this? I'm not, I don't want to hear you right now. It's going to bring envy and bitterness to the whole process. You've got to be humble. You've got to have a meek approach about who you are. And that way, there can be an opportunity to lead with peace there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hear that I, too. I love that, that hunger and that thirst. You ever been hungry before? Like really hungry, not just man, it's been three hours I had something to eat, but like days worth like hunger stuff when you fast or something. Like that's real like that sense of hungering and thirsting. You're dead tired after a run, you didn't drink any water, you forgot to bring it with you, and you just pant like a dog. Like that type of thirst and that type of hunger, seeking after righteousness, if you're seeking your own validation, that doesn't help. That's not gonna provide peace in that process. If you're seeking to make point fingers, it doesn't work. It says you gotta hunger and thirst which means that you can't be lazy about it either. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. A righteous thing is to bring peace to somebody's life because Jesus has brought it to your life. So guess what? Blessed are those who are righteous. I think that helps lead towards peacemaking. The next one is blessed are the merciful. And to be very candid, I can't think of a more merciful thing in this world than to forgive somebody who's wronged you. We we wrong God, and that's what the scriptures will tell us later on today. We we were in offense to God, but yet God still forgave us even while we were still sinning. So we can do the same thing by being merciful to someone that helps bring peace. Again, you can see how they're building on each other, leading to peacemaking. Blessed are the pure in heart, and I don't think a heart that's self-interested, a heart that's full of self-pity, self-importance, that's got other issues, that we can't lead this charge to reconciliation. You yourself have to be pure in your own heart, you know, righteous by God's standing right before we can actually go and bring that to God. So we gotta understand our devotion to Jesus and the pureness of our heart prepares us for the peacemaking process. Now, of course, the last one, which we're gonna see next in a couple of weeks, is blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I think, again, when you take the steps towards all of this in peacemaking, there's a, there's a possibility when you go to make peace that it just might not go well for you. But guess what? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for seeking to make peace. Blessed are you. I wanna be blessed by Jesus, don't you? Isn't that a good thing? It's a good thing to hear. You can see how these are all interwoven together to lead us to this blessed, this makarios life. So let's come to our first fill in the blank here on your notes. If you've got your pens out, you can fill it in. The first fill in the blank this morning we're going to have is Jesus is the peacemaker of our souls. Jesus is the peacemaker of our souls. That Jesus, the son of God, you heard the, the, the beatitude earlier, blessed are those who are peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God. And Jesus, the big son of God, uh, he, he was certainly, he had certainly uh, a lot to do with the peacemaking process in our lives. But what peace did he have to make for us? So way back in the beginning of mankind, right, in the book of Genesis, we see this story of the garden, the garden of Eden, right? And there's a story between Adam and Eve, and we all recognize that humanity was created in this beautiful garden of Eden. This, this garden where, there's perfection and beauty and there was was God's glory and God's presence and this perfect union with God was there. And we still, in a lot of ways, our hearts still long for the Garden of Eden's, you know, beauty once again to be restored. And someday the Garden of Eden's beauty will be restored again. But what broke that? Well, they were told one simple thing, don't touch that tree. And just like you tell your kids or you tell anybody else, hey, man, don't touch that thing. They like, they, the first thing they reach for is that thing. They want to go touch it right away. They're curious because you said something. So they touch it. They eat of that tree. And I'm not going to blame anybody in this room. It could be a guy. It could be a girl. Maybe they were everybody was to blame in the process, right, for eating the fruit. But what happened at that moment was there was this brokenness between God and his creation. And it's called the human condition. And the human condition is such that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you strive, you will never be perfect and righteous that is had, that's what Jesus had to do and pay for us. So if you haven't done it this morning yet, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just prepare you for a shocking thing. You will sin today. Shocking, right? Like you will actually sin today. If you're not perfect, it's gonna happen. I'm, I'm sure it's coming for me too. If I already haven't done it, if I'm being honest, I probably already have this morning. But the reality is we're not perfect. And this is what the scriptures tell us in Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. So death spread to all Men, because all sin. So again, as Tim talked about imperfect people, we're pretty imperfect here this morning. But the greatest part about Jesus and this whole bringing pieces, there was this cross solution. And the cross solution happened on the cross, right? Where Jesus himself would come and strike the enemy back for us. Right after this worst moment in human history at the point where sin entered, there's also the prophecy of Jesus right after this in verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 15 of chapter three. And this is prophecy where it talks about the offspring of the woman would come, and the offspring would crush the head of the serpent, who was the one that caused them to fall, and he would nip it at the heel of the offspring. And that is a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. The enemy, the devil, wants to keep nipping at Jesus' people, but Jesus will crush his head, and he did so on the cross. This is what the scriptures tell us in Romans 5:8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the hope and the message of the cross. On the cross himself, he recognized this point when he said, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He recognized the work that had plagued humankind since the garden was finished. Once for all, Jesus died for that. And all you had to do then was come into a relationship with the Lord and Savior himself. Therefore, Says Romans 5.1. And we always say when you see a therefore, you wonder what it's there for. Well, here's why it's there. It's there because we have been justified by faith, and guess what? We have peace with the peacemaker himself, Jesus Christ, through our Lord, right? We have peace with God through Jesus because of what he did on the cross. So what's the significance of that? What does that really mean for us as a little peacemakers here this morning? Romans 6.10 says, For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, he said. But the life that he lives now, he lives to God. And you remember Jesus said this. Jesus said, Father, just as I am in you and you are in me, let them also be in me and I in them. And so if we're living in Jesus Christ, and if Jesus's victory lives, and the life he lives, he lives to God, then the life we're now living through Jesus Christ is a life of peace through God and to God. Isn't that beautiful? That's awesome. John 14, 27 says this, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. How does the world give? It gives things and it takes it back, right? Things rust and they they break apart here on earth and relationships fall apart, but Jesus gives not like the earth gives. He gives lasting peace. So he says, because I give you this peace, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be afraid. Like we have a part in this whole thing. If you have the peace of Christ, then guess what? You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be afraid. God gives you that peace so you can hold that truth. So the big question is, if we've got this peace from Jesus this morning, then what do we have to do with that peace? We have got to, as a church, prepare ourselves for the process of peacemaking. And there are some preparation steps you need before you jump right into it. Um, and it'd be good and wise to do this. Now, the first step, I think, is you need to internally recognize um, that you, you yourself have to be ready to accept the process of peace. And that can be hard a little bit because the person who may have hurt you, they've hurt you really deep. It may be a really distant relationship now as a result of that, and it's really hard and challenging for you to dive into it, but you have to be ready for that. And I'm gonna show you what the scriptures tell us because we think sometimes, well, I'm just gonna pray about it or I'm gonna go worship in church and that'll be the way that all find peace and, and be ready for this. But the scriptures tell us really something interesting here in Matthew 523, which is right after the the Beatitudes section, talks about, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and you there remember that a brother has something against you, leave your gift and go seek to be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Here it says, reconciliation is more important than worship. Why? Why? The Apostle Paul says the same thing before we take communion, right? Like in First Corinthians 11, he starts talking about all this stuff, and he says, before you take, you should examine your heart first. So prepare yourself. Examine yourself. Get right with you, right? Get ready for this process of peace, Because there's a priority here. Get your mind right. Prepare your heart for this process to seek peace. Be reconciled to God first. Be reconciled. Prepare to be reconciled to another. Then you can worship unhindered to God when you let all that stuff go. When you're unhinged from all of that stuff. It's a wonderful place to be. The next step is, of course, you should bring along a friend. Gather your crew. Get your people there. I think you should, in order to confront another brother or sister, you're gonna see what it says. The scripture tells us in Matthew 18, it says, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, awesome. You gain back your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the witness of two or three, right? So it's basically saying, hey, would you go and invite somebody else into this process with you? It may get difficult. You might not get the answer you want the first time. Would you go bring somebody? And so in order to do that, once you call them up, go sit down, go have a snack, you know, go get some coffee, go sit down and discuss the process. They likely know what's going on anyways, right? Your friends that you're going to bring into this process, you're ready to lock arms with them. Explain what's going on. You guys can pray through the process and then enter in to go, to go meet, you know, again, the situation together as a team. Um, and I think that's going to help the healing and restoration process in the scriptures. Seem to definitely point us towards that. Remember, again, you're not doing this either to like point the finger to be justified in yourself. Like I'm gonna go, I'm gonna bring all these people too so they're they're gonna get on my side because what I say is right and then we're gonna go approach that person and we're gonna shame them right now. It's not about shaming that person. It's about bringing peace to that person. Did God shame you when he brought you peace? No, he could have, he easily should have. If I was God, I probably would have, but he didn't, right? God was so forgiving. But what he also says is if you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven either. Harsh judgment unforgiveness is not part of God's mission for peacemaking. He says this himself in the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven those and our debtors. Forgive, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Remember that story that Jesus told um, the guy who owed a bunch of money, right, to the king, right? And he's like, okay, look, I'm going to forgive you of all of that. Go. And it was, I mean, it was a sum that his his whole life he couldn't have been able to cover for, right? And then he goes out and he holds it against somebody else and throws the guy in jail who owes him just a little bit of money, right? God says, if you don't forgive, then what happens to you is gonna be happening. So so that bad servant got thrown into jail himself by the guy who had already done the forgiving. So God's telling us, if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you. You've gotta be ready to step up and lead that process. And part of leading that process is forgiveness, so our big takeaway is forgiveness is necessary for peace. You cannot step forward unless you do that first. Forgiveness is necessary before peace. Be reconciled to your brother before you come worship God. Forgive, be prepared to lead this process. The next step for us, of course, then is a step of personal peacemaking. And this is a hard one, I think, for a lot of us. I think a lot of us, with things that are just, you know, setting on our hearts from years back, things we can't forgive ourselves for, And I just want to talk about a scripture here that will maybe help enlighten the beauty of what the peace of Christ can do for us to maybe open your heart up to the possibility of forgiving yourself. Colossians 3, 8 through 10 and 12 and 15 say this, but now you must put away all anger, all wrath, malice and slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and you put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its Creator. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Sounds like what we just talked about in the Lord's Prayer, right? And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts in which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Be thankful. And if you allow me, folks, a lot of these things here, kindness and humility and meekness, right? Would you have that same kindness and humility towards yourself? If you're not kind to you, how can you be kind to the person you're seeking to reconcile with? It can't work like that. You've got to be able to get, get let go of all your, your habits, your past hurts, and all your hang-ups. In order to feel free and unfettered, you can actually go and approach this without a heart that wants to hold on to that stuff. You simply can't bring peace if you haven't made it with yourself. But hear this. Hear the scriptures tell you this. In Romans 8.1, there's a beautiful scripture. It says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Jesus Christ and he hasn't condemned you, and why do you keep condemning yourselves? Over and over and over again you relive that thing. On the way to work, you, you just can't let go of that, that, that pain, that struggle, that frustration, that anger, that bitterness you're holding on to. You lay it in bed at night in the middle of the night, waking up thinking about that person, you just like grind your teeth, like I just want to get my revenge on them. Why? Why can't you forgive that person? Why can't you forgive yourself for that mistake you made? I understand addiction, that's a challenging thing, and you've made some mistakes, but why can't you let yourself go of that now? God's freeing you. Yeah, your marriage, you might have some struggles or trials. Maybe even that marriage broke apart, but God can forgive you for that. That child, you weren't always around in his life, or maybe now, you know, even still, you were around their life, but you were, you were maybe more angry than you wished you were, and now they're off to college and thinking, I wish I could get those years back. You can't forgive yourself for this stuff. But the word of God says there's no condemnation for those who are on Christ Jesus. And are we going to make God's word a lie? We can't do that to God's word. It's reflection on these things that leads us to action. Listen to this, what the scripture says in James 1.22. It says, be doers of the word. Not only hearers deceiving yourself, be doers. And just check us out. Romans 8.1 and James 1.22, they're intertwined. They're interwoven with each other. Because it says, if the word of God is true and you're supposed to be a doer of the word and the word of God says... There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and you are in Christ Jesus. And the life that Jesus lives lives to God, and you live in Christ, so you live that life to God. Then why are you holding on to all that stuff? Are you trying to make God's word out to be false and negative, something that cannot be done? God's word is true. God's word is always perfect and true. And if it's true, then what he's saying to you is, let go of that stuff so you can find peace. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave you not as the world leaves, which is when it takes away. My peace is lasting. It will stay with you. It will give you the peace you've been looking for. But you, we, me, we hold on to this stuff because we know more than God we think. I'm gonna hold on to that depression and anger and frustration. I'm gonna hold on to that guilt because I strive, I, I thrive off that stuff, God. What do you know, Lord? Lord he's only infinite, he only knows the entire universe, he only sets you up, he knows every number of head on your hair, even including mine, which has been losing more and more, but he knows the one that's gone down the drain, he sees them every morning as they flush down the drain. Oh, Jesus, help me, Lord. Um, but he sees it. Friends, I'm just going to say, like, I know we think we know what's best, but no, he knows what's best for us. i oh, have to trust that. We're not that important, we're not that arrogant to believe that we know more than he does, so let's let go. There's a process I've been doing for the last so many months. John Eldridge uh, wrote a great book called Resilient. And in it, he's got this pause app that helps you do a thing called benevolent detachment. And benevolent detachment is just this idea of taking all of our stuff, everyone, everything, all the junk, all the stuff that we have, even in our own day, and just giving it over authentically to Jesus a couple of times throughout the day. Just enough to allow for some soul space, for a soul to be refreshed, for a soul to get rest, and for God to come in and begin to do a gentle work on us to help transform us. And throughout that whole process, God works on you and he works on your heart. When you just give those things over, his hands are trustworthy. If we we give him over our sin on the cross, but we don't give him the other stuff, we don't trust the work of the cross. We don't think it was complete. But he said it was finished on the cross. So would you give him your stuff? Then it's finished too. And God can take that and make make a beautiful thing out of it. And you could get peace for your soul. I want to share a story with you throughout this whole process. Um, I laugh at God. I don't laugh at him like, ha, 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 like he's going to strike me down. I laugh at him because there are times he just does things and I just chuckle and go, yeah, that's, that's you, God. Um, before this message, uh, Pastor Tim sent me an email and said, hey, you know, here's a couple weekends that I'm offering up for you. And I thought the first weekend I'm, I'm in, I'm going to preach it. That was the one Michael did last week because we had a vacation that got moved one week back. And so it led me into this one. Was the only other option was Blessed of the Peacemakers. And that's what I'm chuckling about. I have sat in those pews multiple times and heard the name of a person put on my heart. It's my uncle Ron Clemente. And he put it on my heart to go reach him multiple times. And I would get so jacked up. Yes, I'm going to go do this, God. And I would leave this church building and I'd go home, have lunch. Maybe I took a nap, whatever. And then the, the power of that went away. I never did anything about it. And so I'm on a flight, a business trip up to Washington to go be with my Washington team in Seattle. Great meeting with our biggest customers. Amazing, it was an awesome time. But on that flight, God decided, yeah, I'm gonna use this peacemaking thing to talk to you one more time, Chris. Are you paying attention? So on that flight, God put my uncle on my heart and he's like, Chris, this is your time. You've gotta step into the peacemaking process. So I wrote in my journal, I'm gonna share with you if you're okay with this. I'm gonna share with you, uh, it's been 18 years, this, this struggle and, and separation in our family. It's been going on for 18 years. But God just put this on my heart. So I'm gonna share with you my journal entry um, on the plane as I wrote. Uh, Countless occasions, I have felt compelled to reach out to him, my Uncle Ron, and let him know the door is open anytime he wants to come in. He has nothing to fear, no retaliation, no bitterness, no envy, no strife, nothing but love and an open heart. No need to apologize. No need to open old wounds that have largely healed over. And what is left now is a man who's maturing in his life and faith has come to realize that life is indeed far too brief a place to hold bitterness and hatred towards those who have wronged him. God is shaping me every day to understand this truth. He is making me more like him. And though negative words and actions can still impact me, the crater they once left is now mere nicks and dents along this life. Eternity certainly beckons me to recognize the limits of pain on this side of life. And with the promise of heaven and the life of Christ, the pains of this life can indeed be light and momentary. So what do I have to lose that I already haven't lost in my relationship with my uncle? It's already cold and distant. It's already silent and noiseless. It's already devoid of any interaction. So what do I have to lose? What would another rejection do to me at this point? Would the pain of a no reply cause me to feel like I lost the war? And what war am I fighting anyways? There are no wars. There's no guns. There's no tanks. There's no lands to conquer. Well, what war am I fighting? If blessed are the peacemakers then shouldn't I be? Shouldn't I move towards the blessing? Shouldn't I want to pursue peace that I might be called the son of the most high God? Of course I should. So why don't I? What better story to tell on Sunday, August 6th, today, than an authentic story of peacemaking? What better example to the body of Christ than to witness a preacher who actually practices what he preaches? So again, I say, what do I have to lose? If he rejects me, it's not him who rejects me nor was it I who was rejected or disregarded my hand of grace and mercy. It would be the very work of the devil himself. And if this took place, then it's only by the work of the spirit of God and the cross of Christ that victory might be had for me. the battle is not left for me to fight, for vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I can finally release my uncle and aunt into my God's hands of righteousness, regardless of the outcome. For blessed are those who are persecuted for my namesake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So in all of this, I must at least seek peace even if rejection and more daggers are the result, if the letter should somehow be intercepted and torn up by my aunt, in her own bitterness, maybe she destroys it. Lord, would you get the message across? I will seek peace. It's no coincidence, God, that you gave me this Sunday that you did in order that I might reach the loss and bring peace to a broken heart. I consecrate this process, God, to you, to be used for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. So that's what I wrote that day. And that led me to pen a very short letter in preparation to go seek and make peace with my uncle. So the big, the big action from all of this stuff, from this personal peacemaking process, is that we would go and bring peace to others. So we're gonna seek and make peace. That's our big action. Go seek and make peace. Last fell in the blank is bringing peace to others. Bringing peace to others. We need to lead this process in peacemaking. It's incumbent upon us. We have got to let go of the desire to want them to come to us. I mean, they were the ones that hurt us, right? They should come back to us. They should be on their hands and knees before me, begging me to take them back, begging me to forgive them because they hurt me. I didn't do anything. It's all them. Why aren't they coming? Why do I have to be the adult in the room? I always think that. I'm like, they're the adults. I'm just a kid. And 20 years later, almost, I'm a 42-year-old kid, still waiting for the adult to act like the adult. No, it's my job. It's my job as somebody who follows Jesus Christ to lead that process. And I just want to say, like, unless it was a, there may be some rare circumstances where this is true, where it's true that it's, there's nothing that you did in this situation, but in most circumstances, there's a portion of that issue that was yours, a percentage of that issue that was yours. Even if it was a half a percent, there's something that you owe. There's something that you owe in that process that you can take with you and go seek to be restored with that person. We're not perfect. We're imperfect people in progress. So there is some level of that you can take. And all I'm asking this morning is that you'd be willing to open your heart up to hear God say, yeah, Chris, you owe 5% of that thing that you did to your uncle. Go, seek, make peace. And I would ask you the same thing. Consider that on your own hearts. Who can you do that with? See, here's what the scriptures tell us in Hebrews 12:14: Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord strive for peace, not, tr- not like just pretend, but you actually get to go after that, like strive after that, like make it effort. You can't be lazy about it. Go pursue it because if you don't, it says for peace with everyone because the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, like without that process, no one's gonna come to know God. And that'd be a horrible world to live in if we were the last people to ever know who Jesus was. We have to be able to help people bring that peace. Holiness comes from the peace and you've got to strive for it. We've got to be willing to forgive the other party even if they're not going to forgive us. And that's really hard because I think we set ourselves up for this. I mean, as a kid, you know, I played sports a lot and whether it was, you know, being in my backyard trying to make that winning shot with the time running out or hitting the grand slam or whatever it was, like I always hoped that was going to be the case and the ball would come and I'd hit a grounder. Right, and I, I tried again. I go back and try again because I hoped that it would always turn out really well. But the reality of that situation is, it didn't most of the time. A couple of times I got lucky, right? But it didn't most of the times. And what I'm saying is, is as you go seek peace, it may not go that well, and that's okay. You have to forgive the other person, regardless of that, because never you won't yourself be able to be forgiven in that. I mean, God wants God's goodness. He wants to see that relationship restored. But there's this crazy thing about humans, right? We had this human condition thing where we're all fallen and we're all destined to sin every day, almost every moment, right? Like this is part of our human condition. There's another part of humanity too that exists. And this is free will. And you know this, if ever you've asked somebody to do something for you and they ignored it. They got their own choice to make. They can go left or right, it's up to them. We all have free will. You can't force that person to accept your hand of grace and mercy. We pray to God it happens. But we need to be prepared that it might not happen. And part of that preparation process is for us to have a heart that is humble before God to still forgive that person in spite of all their pain, in spite of all their hurt, in spite of their daggers they may throw back at you and that might happen too. You better be ready for that. Like that is something that we still have to be prepared for. The scripture tells us in Romans twelve eighteen. it says, if possible, so far as it depends upon your enemy, so far as it depends upon the church, It says, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. So understand there's sometimes you're going to try and it's not going to work out. That's okay. But it says, if possible, so far as it depends, on you live peaceably, you still have to try. You have to strive for peace with them. Even if you're rejected, dear brothers and sisters, here's what I'll tell you. Don't take up for yourself and as good as it might feel to get satisfaction for that. Let the air out on their tires. Send him a nasty note. If you see him, punch him, whatever. Like, it may feel good. My dad used to always tell me, man, I got so many things I want to get satisfaction for. Like, he feels that. And I'm like, pop, I guess you you need to chill out a little bit. Like, let's let's just calm down. But he understands what this is talking about. Like, it would feel good. But just like taking that drink, just like shooting up, just like doing something with bitter. It feels good at the beginning. And it feels miserable when you get off of it. When you come down, it's real low. And I'm just promising you, I've taken revenge. I'm sure some of you in this room have done it yourselves. And it feels really good while it's happening. And then all that guilt starts hitting. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? Don't you listen to me? What does Jesus say? He says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He says, to the contrary. This is counterintuitive. This is You Ready for this? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. And if you do this, you will heap burning coals on their head. They don't have anything to say against you. Like when you seek peace, when you make it with them, when you feed them and they're hungry, the person who's thrown you down, the person who's said nasty things about you, the person who got you fired, that person, if you still forgive them, you still feed them when you see them, it's just gonna burn heaping, heaping coals right on their head, right? Which means their guilt is gonna be on them. It's not on you. You have been forgiven. God has allowed you to walk through the process. You don't have to carry that stuff. Remember this in Exodus 15 about a year ago. I gave a message here on God as as this warrior, right? God is our warrior king. He fights for his people. And right before Exodus 15, the song of Moses that we went through, Exodus 14, 14 says this beautiful thing about God's promise. He says in Exodus 14, the Lord will fight for you. You just have to be silent. Just be silent. Let God do that work for you. God will fight for you. Chris, don't take up for yourself. Church, don't take up for yourself. I say this here as I come up, you know, and talk to you guys often about giving and whatnot. We do the morning welcome and things, and I always talk about how bless, giving to somebody blesses you. Like, it's not for God. My like, God doesn't need your money, right? We talk about that, but, but giving blesses you. And here's what I would say. Giving blesses you, and forgiveness does too. Giving blesses you, and forgiveness does. Does too. When you are able to let go of that stuff, you are blessed. You don't carry that bitterness inside anymore. You live more free. You live with less less anger, less jealousy, less hatred. Your blood pressure goes down. Your depression goes down. Your anxiety removes. Like all these things happen when you begin to let go of this stuff and let God do the work. Put it on his shoulders. You don't have to carry that stuff. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. And my yoke is easy. We want to hold that stuff ourselves because we think, well, but I would rather have my own. Let it go. Forgiveness is for you too. The other party might never forgive you, but regardless, put that stuff on God's plate. He's big enough to handle it. I want to follow up with you just what I had mentioned earlier on my, uh, on my uh, journal entry to my uncle and the inspiration you know, to write that letter and I kept it really short and sweet and it was basic and simple. There were three points to it. You are loved, appreciated, and a relationship with you is wanted. No don't need to interpret what I wrote. It was super simple. And there have been some letters that have gone back and forth in the family prior to that that it was like, well, he said this on this line. Did you see he said that right there? And they would go back to this stuff. In this letter, there's nothing that you could have interpreted besides the love of Jesus Christ loves you. No matter what you did before, no matter what you think I'm holding on to, my home is open, my heart is open. No matter what you think may happen that, that, you know, if you come to the front door, like, come on in. I got a meal ready for you. I love you. Even for our last interaction, it was ugly. Was that the love and stuff that I still have in my heart for them supersedes all that stuff? Because First Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, right? It tells us about this stuff. Like, I don't have this stuff against my uncle. Love is patient and kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't boast. It's not proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. Keeps no record of being wronged. It's not, it's, it's not, it does not rejoice about injustices. It rejoices whenever the truth wins out. I can't wait for the day to rejoice when that happens. It never gives up. Never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures every circumstance, even rejection. Even more pain, more bitterness, it's back towards you. Even vengeance that may be coming your way because they think they have to hurt you again. But here's what I'd say, I love my aunt and my uncle. I love them. In that letter, I wanted them to know that in spite of all that stuff, it doesn't matter. I've been forgiven much. And I'm just gonna give that back to you too as well. So far, I haven't heard anything. I left them the letter on Tuesday. They have a camera there at the, uh, the front door that was looking right on the mailbox. So I know they saw me. They saw my face. They have to deal with part of that now. And I've been praying every day for them. And my hope is that someday they'll be right here with us. It'll be beautiful. And if not, at least just a big hug to tell them I love you. And I don't have to see you again if you don't want to see me again, but just so you know, you're going to go to wherever you go in your grave knowing that, that your nephew loved you. No matter what happened in the family, no matter the, the distance of time, your nephew loves you. And what I would say is, is I've been so encouraged by this that if this is rejected, I don't hear much in a couple weeks. He's got a couple buddies. I know. And there's going to be a letter I'm going to hand to them and say, hey, would you, when you see him next time, would you say, hey, did you get this? No, no, I didn't see it. Good. And then they're going to hand it to him. And if that one gets rejected, there's one final one, and that's the gospel. I don't think he's ever been a chance to hear the gospel. Message. I don't think my aunt's ever had a chance to hear the gospel message, even though after my, 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 my cousin died and, and, and my, my aunt's son, you know, he was, you know, they were at church at Jubilee, and, and there was, you know, he had came to find Jesus. But I don't think they had. And I don't know if they ever still even since that moment. There may be a lot of bitterness and hurt from that. But he's going to hear the gospel presented in a huge treaty that I'm going to write to him. Pages and pages long. Because one thing I want to be assured is the day I take my last breath, that at least my uncle heard the truth. I don't believe we have tomorrow promised. I believe we have right now. And if we don't do something now, life is really short. And it's too short to hold on to all that bitterness and all that anger and that frustration all that, and all that, all that heart and heartache. Like if, if I just want to make this right, then go do it. What are you waiting for, Right? So you have your moment too here, church. I sat in those pews many times, hearing God say, Ron Clementi on my heart. Uncle Ron, on my heart. Go see him, go see him, go see him. And I would go home, like I said, and I wouldn't do anything about it. I'm so thankful for the Seattle flight, that God changed me in that way. So I'm giving you a chance this morning too as well. You came in, you sat down, there was a piece of paper next to you. There are pens in your seat backs as well. i asked you to grab that piece of paper. And just as the Holy Spirit moved on my heart, my prayer for you this morning is he's going to move on your heart. I'm going to ask you to write on that piece of paper. So grab your pens. You hear a lot of clicking on pens and a lot of writing going down. What I'm going to ask is that the Holy Spirit places upon your heart a name that you can go seek and make peace with as well. Whether it's a distant memory of somebody who hurt you a long time ago or something very recent, small or big, I'm believing that the Holy Spirit's going to put a name on your heart that you can go and say, yeah, I'll take the step to lead the process to find peace. So you write two names. The first name you're going to write is yourself. And after you feel the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you, I'm going to write the name of that person on that, or multiple people too. I mean, you can be an overachiever, that's cool. I'm just asking for one, but you can do more. i asking that you, when you are done, you fold that up and our drop boxes in the back where we usually do our donations and whatnot and our offerings, when you drop that in the drop boxes in the back, our, our church wants to pray for you and pray for that person. And even after service, even more boldly, bring that name with you up front. We're happy to pray with you too as well, okay? So I wanna pray right now for the Holy Spirit just to reveal to each one of you a name that you can bring the process of peace to that has hurt you in a way in the past. Father God, oh Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we ask now for a move. We ask you to come. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move upon this congregation, upon the hearts of these faithful followers of you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask for you that you would place a name on their hearts. A name that they could bring peace to someone who hurt them so bad in the past. Someone that you maybe even have already pinged them about before, but they just were resistant. They didn't want to hear it. I pray that their hearts and minds are open to hear your message this morning, Lord. That you want to bring peace to the pain. That you want to be in reconciliation where there was ravage and destruction. You wanna restore, Jesus. Holy Spirit, move on the hearts of your people. Move in the minds of your people so that this place, Lord God, will be a place of peace, an epicenter of peace in the Willow neighborhood, Lord God. Holy Spirit, speak to your people. And in boldness, let them write, Lord, without worry or fear, without condemnation or judgment. Without being shy, Lord, let them just, just write, Holy Spirit, move on your people's heart, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing and what you will do after this moment. To you be the glory, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are good. And your mercy endures forever. Amen.